Hello, welcome back to the Punk Rock Academy podcast with John and Dave. Welcome back and thank you to everyone for uh, who listened to the first episode for, for joining us again. How have you been, Dave? I've been all right, actually. Um, I was clearing out my car the other day and um, I came across some compilation CDs and I thought to myself, you know what, it's a good subject to talk about. So John, what is your favourite compilation CD? Two immediately stick out. I mean, I loved Fat Records. But my two favourite and probably most influential were Epitaph's Punkarama 3 uh, that had bands that I sort of loved already, like Pennywise and No Effects. And then it introduced me to bands like Union 13 and loads of other stuff. Oscar, of course, huge band. And then uh, the second Hopeless Records comp, Hopelessly Devoted to U2, which was Dillinger 4, Funeral Oration, Falling Sickness. So I think those two compilations were probably the most significant. The two comps you mentioned, I thought, uh brilliant compilations um especially like the um, punk up uh, punkorama um compilations i thought they're very varied in its sound obviously you've got the scar core really close goals you've got the the fastness of zeke and it was very varied and gave me really highlighted and showcased the amount of talent and different type of bands out there what's your favorite you know what i'm gonna cheat here because i've got a compilation which has like 40 odd tracks on and um it has to be punk up risings volume two on go-kart records as compilations go, um, I think this one has been most successful in getting me into new bands. Um, we had Bouncing Souls on there, Against All Authority, Anti-Flag, and Bretta. Two of my favourite bands, such as Discount and also Lifetime. Even like even um, Kill Your Idols, which I absolutely love, straight up hardcore punk, just in-your-face um, music. It was a phenomenal compilation and... I don't think I've even heard a compilation since, which has really matched the standards of that album. Funnily enough, Dave, thinking about varied uh, sounds on a compilation, we should mention uh, the Hellcat Records comps, given the boot, because you had everything from, um, you know, traditional ska and two-tone to, um, mm-hmm. to pretty straight-up hardcore. Um, that was actually a, a really good compilation. It bands like Choking Victim, you had Leftover Crack, you had um, Pressure Point, just all these little Tiger Army, I think, were on there as well, I believe. Yeah, and F Minus, of course, who were one of the more sort of straight up hardcore bands and certainly at the sort of further end of the spectrum compared to a lot of the other stuff. Uh, and very excitingly, and I'm sure most people already know, but we're uh, going to be talking to Brad Logan of F Minus today. What, Brad? Brad, the Brad Logan? Ah, uh, no, sorry, not the Brad Logan, just a Brad Logan. Hi, you guys. Hello, how you doing? Hey, bro. good. How are you? Oh, very good. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. We're good, mate. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Appreciate. Well, it's tonight here. It's probably a bit earlier on for you, right? Yeah, it's just you know mid- midday here. You guys are in London, right? Yeah, we're in yeah. different parts of London, but um, but yeah, we're in we're in London, which is pretty much not London at the moment because nothing's open. We're we're taking it back. We're taking it back to <clears throat> to the days of. Uh, do they have gas lamps out? <laughs> yeah, smoky, smoky yeah. cobbled streets and uh, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. It was that way here for for a long time, and and uh, you know things are kind of easing up in, in that way. But uh, you know, I have to say, I was a fan of it being a ghost town here because you know, much like London, it's just you know the ch- London traffic is is it, I think equal to <laughs> you know if not worse than than LA traffic or you know. New York traffic, right? It's just, uh, if you're trying to get anywhere, it's horrible. 
absolutely loved it. Like, you know, when there are no, no cars on the road and nature's getting back to, you know, back where it belongs. The, the, there's le- less less rubbish, the birds are out and the, the, the lakes and streams are cleaner. And it's beautiful, right? Oh, I'm with you on that. I mean, Brad, are you like before, just before lockdown then, what was life like? Were you still gigging and touring regularly? Yeah, it was fairly chaotic. You know, I was dividing my time between, you know, two to three bands, you know, working at, you know, two to three venues and then family life. I didn't realize how chaotic it was until it just came to a grinding halt. And it's like, oh my God, I'm a crazy person, you know? And, and, uh, I mean, granted, it was, you know, it was all good stuff, but, you know, I was just moving so fast at all times that, that I didn't realize how exhausted I was. I was going to say, so it gave you a bit of time to just to stop, pause and reflect on, you know, how hectic your life has been in this whole COVID situation. Right. It, it, COVID did for me what, what I wouldn't have done for myself. Just put the brakes on entirely and take stock of uh, what's important versus what's just manifestations of, of, of my manic insanity. Do you think, how's it going to, how's it going to change things? Do you think looking forward now, you're going to, ref- you're going to change, change the way you approach like mu- music and, and life. Are you going to try and balance it out a bit more? Or is it just going to go back to the way things were? I think that uh, for me, it's an, an absolute necessity. And I, I've been, you know, I've been pretty busy, uh, you know, the whole time, even in, in lockdown, it's like, uh, life didn't stop moving for me. I, I spent a lot of time writing and, and, uh, working on various projects with different musicians. Um, some of whom are in England, you know, and just sending files, you know, playing on people's tracks, sending files back and forth with, uh, you know, with people all over the world. And, and then, uh, you know, I was working on a book, right. Which I'm just wrapping up now too. And, and, um, and I think that my focus was a lot sharper, you know, because there wasn't, uh, there was no hurry, you know, it was just, at least for me, I mean, I did a lot of things on the fly prior to this. And and so, uh, you know, I realized that I, I like this pace, you know, and, and I mean, I suppose it's always been the eternal quest for balance, but, um, you know, it brought that into, uh, into focus even more. It's like, uh, take my time and, and get things done you know, work smarter, not harder in that, in that sense, I guess. So, uh, yeah. How's it going to, how's it going to look for me when things, you know, go back to, you know, some sort of semblance of, of what they were. Yeah. That's the question. I mean, <clears throat> in, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm kind of terrified of like, Oh, you know, things are starting to open up. Oh my God, here we go again. You know, you guys know you live in a, in a big city. I mean, it's just, you know, the pace is, is like, um, you know, it's full on. So, uh, so in, in lockdown, um, you released, um, your album with the adolescence in October, I believe. Yes. Was that, was that something that was recorded throughout lockdown as well? Was it? It was, yeah, it was started, uh, you know, about six months before, uh, before things locked down and, uh, you know, we, we wrapped up the final tracks, you know, maybe at the end of 2019, maybe even January of 2020. So yeah, it, you know, it, it lined up pretty good with that you know, cause uh, everything shut down shortly after. And that's, um, that, that's all, that's a, uh, an album of covers, isn't it, Brad? So um, t- talk us, talk us through the process of how you, you guys as a band, cause you're, you're a new member to the, to the adolescents. How do you guys go about selecting those, those songs? Was there any arguments? Was there any discussions? Was it just a case of picking the, 
the bands that were most influential and uh, and sort of you know key to you guys growing up i'm the new guy i'm cool with whatever the band wants to do you know uh tony and i have and, and you know the other guys in the band we all have similar tastes and we're all pretty uh eclectic too and you know i'm all over the board you know everybody in the band's all over the board and what we listen to and and uh but i think tony picked a lot of great stuff you know some things i i wasn't familiar with um but a few things you know underground gems that i was like ah oh, shit we're doing the simple tones i like drugs oh, you know that that was just a classic record here you know and and uh or doa and, and you know lion share germs are one of my all-time favorite bands and and uh and then other things like the red cross song on there which is just like mind-blowing and i love red cross but i wasn't familiar with that track so i just left it up to him you know okay so talking of like all-time classics like what band reminds you, you know, of, of being you know a kid growing up what was what was a what was a band the artist that was in your childhood which you listen back and you think bam i'm a kid again I was thinking about that yesterday um I, I mean what period of my life would you like to know because there was pre-punk and then there was punk and then there was post-punk things that take me back let's let's start let's go chronological let's start at the beginning Pre, pre-punk my favorite bands of of my pre-punk era were uh the doors and black sabbath uh, you know those were you know the first bands that i was introduced to as a kid you know i remember um my mom would go to uh uh, flea markets and you know just buy records for a dime you know and she would come home and just go here listen to these you know and just kind of throw them at me right and, and uh <laughs> you know because prior to that it was just you know whatever was on the radio um and i remember just really going in deep uh, with those bands and, and you know the thing that in this came you know kind of set the the tone of, of my taste for for life really was uh you know those bands were both uh, pretty eclectic, man, and chance takers, you know, and, and um, you know, when you listen to, you know, either of those bands, uh, there would be, you know, tracks on their records that were like, what is this, you know, but sometimes, it, you know, several tracks, you know, I don't know what the doors were, you know, they probably would have considered themselves a blues band or something, you know, <laughs> but I, I had never, you know, I don't even know how to classify that. They're like, um, they're their own thing. And it's funny that I don't hear a lot of punks really um, cite the Doors as being any sort of influence, which I don't understand. And, and uh, to me, they're v- very much connected, especially Morrison and, and uh, his dedication to, you know, not only, uh, you know, anti-authority and, you know, just chaos, but, you know, very poetic and well thought out lyrics. Uh, to me, it, you know, uh, there's a, a, a straight lineage from that to all of the greats, the, the Stooges, you know, the germs, the, you know, whatever. And, and Black Sabbath, it's like, they weren't like a typical, you know, again, they were writing the book, you know, that, so there wasn't like, you know, a record of all just bam, 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 bam. You know, they had these like breaks in there that would be, you know, classical guitar or, um, you know, a fucking chorus, you know, uh, with, you know, harp and stuff. And it was like just mind blowing to me. And it all fit. What, what year is this, Brad, if you don't mind me asking? This would probably be uh, uh, the early 70s. And you've got parents that are, that are like, thro- you know, throwing this stuff at you. They're encouraging you to kind of go go and listen to these, you know, pretty, 
pretty wild bands, I guess, at that time. These guys were, were probably a little bit a little bit dangerous, a little bit unknown. They were literally you know, foreign in, in Sabbath's case. And um, and your parents are sort of feeding you this stuff, are they? Absolutely. Yeah. And then there was Zeppelin and, and too, you know, and uh, um, you know, Zeppelin was kind of the same thing, uh, uh, you know, just all over the place. Yeah. And I never had that talk with my parents. Like, do you like this stuff? You know, I don't know if they if they actually liked it or if they were like, Ah, this is what the kids are into. Here you go. You know, because my parents weren't, they weren't hippies or anything, you know, they were like, you know, they were working class. And so I don't even know what their, you know, their musical tastes were. Oh, and Elton John too. Elton John was the first concert I ever went to. The first show I ever saw was, was Elton John in, in uh, 1975. I was a little, literally a a little kid. And uh, I went with a bunch of, you know, older kids in the neighborhood, you know, to, to Dodger stadium and, and, uh, you know, he, he was a little fucking ant on stage, you know, it's like, so that was pre-punk. Right. And then uh, punk era stuff. Um, I stumbled onto punk through Rodney on the rock, which was a radio show at the time in the, in the late seventies. And, and uh, you know, there was all the, you know, early bands, you know, the early English bands and, and, you know, the pistols and, and the damned and stuff. And they were great, but what really kind of um, knocked me, you know, for a loop was, the first time I had heard um, uh, the the first Black Flag seven inch Nervous Breakdown, and then the the Germs the first Germs album GI, I remember getting a cassette tape from a friend of mine that had both of those on it, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> you know, and then getting the Germs record and and uh, uh, buying the record and then reading the lyrics, and it was like, "This is like incredible," that there could be so many levels and so much depth to the lyrics um, coupled with just such simple simplicity music wise, you know? Did you get to experience like many live shows at that stage where you going to like black flag shows and, you know, I was, uh, um, I was probably in high school. I don't even remember what age, you know, maybe 16, 17. So I was going to some shows, but I wasn't really allowed to, you know, I was still in school and I wasn't really allowed to run rampant, you know, up to L.A. and, and hang out all night. And, and I would, you know, I was going to bigger concerts um, that were usually on the weekends. And uh, but as far as the club shows, uh, I was going to them here or there. Yeah. But not uh, on a on a full time basis. Plus, I didn't have a car. You fucking can't get anywhere around here without a car. Right. When you're listening to the, to the Sabbath and Zeppelin and the Doors. Uh, are you thinking I, I want to do this? Are you, are you picking up an instrument? Are you like having a jam, or is it just something that's another world? This is a you know these guys are pros. They're doing this, and I'm just going to consume it. And then you listen to the Germs and Black Flag, and you think, oh, right, maybe I I can do this. At what point does the kind of this self realization that this is this is what you could do kind of hit? Around the time that I started getting those records from my mom, she. Um my parents uh, bought me a, an acoustic guitar and enrolled me in some, uh, some group guitar lessons, you know, where we just strum like, I don't know, you know, Michael row the boat ashore or whatever the fuck. And, and, uh, and I remember I would go home and, and <clears throat> listen to these records and try and play along to them. But, you know, they were way out of my skill level, you know, and, and yeah, indeed. But, you know, by the time I heard, you know, black flag and the germs and the Ramones, it, it was like, Oh fuck you know, I can play this, 
you know, and, and I don't need to know all that other bullshit. Also along with discovering those bands, I was like, Led Zeppelin is shit. I always, I never said that about the doors or about Sabbath, <laughs> you know, I always hung on to doors in, in Sabbath, but everything else I liked prior to that, you know, Aerosmith and fuck this, this is garbage, you know? And, and, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, I went full on in, into, um, you know, into punk at that time. And do you remember your first band, your first punk band you played in? Yeah, I was in, I was in uh, this band called um, the OZ Hairs, which was um, some friends of mine from the neighborhood. The first guys that, uh, the first punks that I started hanging out with, right. They lived walking distance from my house. And, and, um, you know, I would go over to, you know, my friend's house, his, his dad worked graveyard shift. So he would leave for work at 10 o'clock at night or whatever. And so that's when we would all <laughs> show up at the house and, you know, get a case of beer and, and, you know, just start blasting records. And, and, uh, and these guys were already had been going to shows, punk shows at clubs for a long time. And, you know, I had long Robert Plant kind of hair and they're like, fuck this, we're cutting your hair, man. You know, sat me down and just <laughs> cut it off and dyed it blue. And and so uh, that that band was uh, comprised of uh, some of those guys. And I talk about it in the Leftover Crack book that'll be out in August, this coming August, about my first band. And, and uh, it, it was, uh, you know, my friend Mark was the singer, uh, Mark Alba, and, and then... Uh, we would rehearse up in Hollywood. Uh, so I started going up to Hollywood with those guys and going to shows and hanging out around there. And the band, uh, the band was kind of like the early, the germs junior, you know what I mean? Just very, uh, uh, very primal, you know, uh, not poppy, you know, that's the, the best thing I could equate it to. Uh, Emil, who was, uh, who later the drummer was later in this band twisted roots. And then in, he was in black flag for a bit. Um, Des from Black Flag played uh, guitar for second guitar for a bit. Uh, so there was, you know, <clears throat> some some history of, of uh, you know, of the hardcore punk community connected to it already, you know, by the time I got there. And what, what was that? What was the scene like? Was it full of, you know, weirdos and misfits? Was it dangerous? Were you definitely outsiders when you had your blue hair? Were you kind of picked on outside? No, this was like, this was like 1981, 1982. And, uh, and you were taking your life in your hands if you walked down the street with blue hair, literally, you know, I think you could get away with it. Big cities, you know, Paris, London, New York, Hollywood, but uh, you know, out in the fucking suburbs, people wanted to fucking kill you. I, I remember walking into a grocery store market, you know, with freshly dyed blue hair and, and everybody's heads just turning and looking at me like I was some sort of fucking Martian. And it wasn't like, oh, that looks cool. It was just disdain. And of course, I had to walk to and from school every day, uh, uh, probably about 10 blocks, you know, um, in long California blocks. So it, it would take me about 20 minutes to walk to school and back. And, uh, you know, people would drive by and throw shit at you, you know, and, and pull up alongside you and want to kick your ass. And, and uh, it was very exciting. <laughs> and, and, you know, I wasn't even dressed crazy at the time. If you just had some straight leg Levi's, you know, some Converse all stars and a, and a button down like thrift store shirt. That was like revolutionary, you know, in, in fashion. And that's what I wore, you know, in trench coats and whatever. And uh, so no, this, we were very much outsiders. That scene was very much uh, still very, very underground and hated by the police, 
you know, pulled over and it's sometimes, you know, having a gun held to your head while they went through your IDs and, you know, ran your name. And, and I think that just solidified uh, the scene, you know, having that sort of, you know, condem- condemnation from, you know, society and from the police. And, and it just made us stick together even more. And then, of course, all the rockers, you know, all the Led Zeppelin heads and stuff just wanted to fucking kill you. And, and it just strengthened my resolve. <laughs> like, fuck you. Now I'm dying. Now I'm dying at pink. How do you like me now? How much do you think violence that was kind of existing within the scene or that came from outside into the scene because of people seeing your blue hair and the like, how much did that kind of drive people coming into the scene just for the violence? Like, how much did it kind of drive that, that kind of culture of people who are like hey i'm gonna go to a punk show and just you know start fucking shit up now let me just preface this guys by saying i am no authority on any of this these are merely my observations and and my take you know so um i don't speak for the scene i don't speak for the past i don't speak for you know the history of of you know southern california punk but my take on it is that, you know, at first the violence was like kind of played sort of make, you know, people pogoing and choking each other and, you know, dancing crazy. And that kind of turned into bigger shows where you had a bunch of people slam dancing and, and mashing into each other. And, and then that started to attract people that were really violent, that really wanted to do some violence. And that kind of changed everything because uh, you had people that, you know, that were seriously dangerous people uh, and were attracted because it represented some sort of outlet for violence for them. And uh, uh, at that point, I started to pull away from it because that wasn't my thing really at all. You know, and I think a lot of people started to pull away from it. You know, so I started to go to shows that were sort of, uh, you know, they were connected to that scene, but it was a different outlet like gothy, you know, the early goth scene. Uh, which morphed into bands like Christian Death and uh, 45 Grave and uh, a lot of synthier type of bands. And, the, and then that morphed into sort of the, uh, um, uh, you know, the Bauhaus, uh, you know, Birthday Party, Bad Seeds, you know, and all the, that English wave of, uh, you know, mid 80s, you know, Alien Sex Fiend, Specimen, Einstein uh, Neubot. You know, I started to get wrapped up in that scene. <clears throat> so you spoke about obviously pre-punk and punk and obviously the music you started going into after punk. Uh, what would you say was one of those defining artists to which, you know, captured the post-punk you? Uh, two, but Bauhaus and and uh, the birthday party. Birthday party and Bauhaus, those two particular shows, they both came over in, I want to say it was 80, maybe late 83, 84. And I saw them play at, at both at the same place, this place, the Roxy. Uh, in Hollywood and the birthday party, there was about 50 people there. Bauhaus, there was, you know, was quite well known by the time they got here. Uh, and, and I was just, my mind was fucking blown. You know, it was like, what is this? I didn't even know you could do this. I didn't know what to make of the birthday party at all. You had a guy in a fucking cowboy hat, you know, you had Nick cave howling like a fucking dog, you know, and over this just really, primitive janky sort of spaghetti western you know rolandist howards it was like it just didn't compute and uh and i was immediately attracted to it um and then that you know branched off into to everything that was connected to those guys nice i guess at some point though you kind of go back go back to the hardcore scene because you start f minus and they are probably a pretty traditional hardcore punk band so i guess at some stage you kind of end up 
decided to come back home um, and started to kind of go back to those original punk roots. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was talking to John Brandon about John Brandon from negative approach. Hi, John. If you, if you see this and, and uh, uh, we were both, uh, uh, you know, professing our love for the birthday party and he had a similar experience. You know, uh, he said when he saw them out in Detroit, <clears throat> that's where the laughing hyenas came from. You know, it was like, holy shit. Uh, so I think that they were influential to, to guys like us. It encapsulated that that same sort of, you know, those feelings of, uh, you know, frustration and, and uh, you know, not belonging and, and loss. And, and uh, it was just a new way to look at those same sort of uh, feelings and avenues. And yeah, the, the return, you know, F minus was... Um, you know, was born out of just sort of a frustration at how, um, how sort of safe and homogenized the, the, the punk scene had become in the mid nineties. And, you know, there were a lot of bands that I thought were great, you know, don't get me wrong, but I felt that it was uh, uh, lacking some components, you know, and, and that's where the F minus came from. It's like, you know, I don't care. We don't care about melody. We don't fucking care about, um, making fans or friends or impressing anybody. It's like the warp tour. Fuck you, you know? So that's what that was born out of. It's like, we didn't give one fucking shit. If anybody came to the shows, if anybody liked it at all. I've got to say that that, that first F minus album, that was my holy shit moment. I was like, Oh my God, it just blew my head. It was, I remember because when I first, when I first uh, found out about it, it was, it was a Hellcat records compilation. And my friend got a copy of, of the album, self-titled one. And I was like, well, made me sit up in my chair. <laughs> okay, this this is the one. This is the really? one. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was just like, it cut through all the bullshit. It was just like straight in your face. It just seemed really urgent. Like, it just wanted to get a message out there. It, it... I mean, I'll say, yeah. I'll say the same yeah. thing, actually. Like, I'm, I'm probably one of those kids that you were quite annoyed about in the mid-90s that was getting into punk and being a bit too, being a bit too sweet <laughs> and a bit too safe. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved a good pop melody and I still do. But um but I love I love hardcore too. And Suburban Blight, particularly that album, was was I wouldn't say it like it I think I'd heard heard hard stuff and I was into it, but with a bit more of a melodic edge, I think you guys were a little bit of a gateway into stuff that was just like you said, just totally stripped back, didn't try and kind of appeal to any sort of sense of anything I'd really heard before, and it just kind of cut straight through. And that, that song, White Collar Crime, I think in particular, just like, I fucking love that track. Um, I remember that one being big. And I saw, I saw you guys in London. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was it was a big a big moment, actually, I think, looking back now, without necessarily realising it. But but funny enough, because you, you talk about the kind of the popularity of that, of that mid-90s scene, because you've probably, you've seen, you've seen it at the very beginning, and then you kind of, you know, ride the hardcore wave, and then suddenly it just comes crashing crashing back this kind of whole new scene which is now backed up by you know modern technology with television and cds and everything else and so although the irony is you guys are looking to fight against that you know in all due respect it probably you know does you a bit of a favor right and f minus you might not have cared that people didn't turn up but they did <laughs> and suddenly you find yourself on hellcat records and you know being supported by one of the biggest bands punk bands in the world so it kind of all went it didn't go to plan i guess did it you know, uh, first of all, I don't blame the fans and I don't blame the the kids, the people that that loved those pop punk bands. I do not blame you 
John or or <laughs> any any of your friends that loved that kind of stuff. And and I love some of that kind of stuff too. You know, I do. I, I found the machine to be incredibly distasteful. Um, the same machine that's that's always been around. That the the machine that sort of presents to people this is what you should like. That is what uh, was nauseating to me, you know? And then of course, people just sort of following what they think that they should do and, you know, not really taking any chances and just doing what is is in their gut. And and so hope, hopefully we open some doors up, you know, for people to see things that way, that you don't have to be this or that, you know, you can be, F minus was pure expression, you know, the, we were not musicians and, and uh, you know, pure minimalist expression. Yeah. It, I mean, Tim, you know, <laughs> yeah, I loved him. I mean, he felt the same way. You know, we had many, many conversations, you know, about, you know, hardcore. And, and so, so Tim was on the same page, you know, absolutely. So did that deal come about? Obviously, I know you were a roadie for a lot of bands, including Rancid. Was that where um, you managed to you know, get that deal with F minus and um, Hellcat? Yes, I was rooting for Rancid and Tim was like, <clears throat> I'm starting this label. Uh, and I was, you know, we would have talks about, you know, there needs to be a fucking band like this. And he's all, you know, I'll put out your band, whatever it is, you know, I'll put it out, you know. And so we, we sort of had the means before there was the ends, you know, but it didn't matter. I mean, <laughs> you know, he put it out knowing that it wasn't going to rise to the top of the fucking heap. You know what I mean? It's like, this wasn't like, you know, he just wanted to put out stuff that he felt was awesome and had some guts, you know? And I think that a lot of those Hellcat bands did very, very much based on his own personal tastes, you know? So yeah, he, <laughs> you know, he produced the first record, he played on it. He backed us the whole way. I, I know a lot of people found, didn't find us appealing at the time and and couldn't see why he would put a record out you know a money losing prospect of putting a record out for a band like f minus you know what i think ranted's album after i think it was a self-titled one but ranted five i think it might be i think it may have been heavily influenced by you no know, f minus and what was going down at the time because that ranted album is pretty hardcore obviously a bit more tuneful appealing to you know more mainstream but i think it was definitely influenced by the f minus album yeah i mean that's a great record you know and that was already in his gut you know what i mean it's like he was already there you know knowing him as a friend and, and having similar music tastes and and you know we would be on tour and we'd get up every morning and have coffee together and just kind of talk about shit talk about music and and you know uh and this was <clears throat> way prior to that record coming out you know probably life won't wait pre-life won't wait era and so he was already there i think that you know, that having produced the F minus record and, and, and being there with us, it was kind of like, you know, his chance to uh, to do his, you know, take on it. You know what I mean? Which I thought was fucking of, of just stripped down, pure, you know, pure attitude, pure heart, pure gut. So uh, I don't know who influenced who. But either way, you got two great albums out of it. So, you know, no one's complaining. Yes. Right. Yeah. Dave and I have been in bands and we've toured together and we've we've experienced the highs and the lows of what that means. The highs of having, you know, people coming along to a show and maybe even singing along and the lows of losing shit tons of money driving seven hours to a gig and you no, know, there being no gig. Like what's what's the lowest point? What's the time when something just feels <laughs> that and you think, why have I sacrificed my life? Kids that you went to high school with 
uh, settling down with families and you're sat in the back of a smelly van with four other guys and you're thinking, what am I doing with my life? What's the lowest? I've had many, I've had many of those moments. Uh, what have I fucking done to my life? I mean, shows like, it, it, and it just depends. Like F minus played one time in Cologne, Germany to zero people, you know, to the guy running the door and the guy made, that made the spaghetti. And that it was a great show. We had so much fun. You know, we played our set twice. It was just like, fuck it. No one's here. Awesome. There's no pressure. I don't know if the guy that put the show on was too, you know, too into it, but probably like you said, those long, you know, driving eight, 10 hours somewhere. And, you know, back in the days where, you know, before the internet, where you would get there and there would be no show, right. You know, that there's a fucking chained up door and you're like, what the fuck, man. Uh, or sleeping on somebody's, uh, you know, one of our first F minus's first trips to the UK, you know, we, we flew in and we played a show right when we landed, you know, we didn't stay in hotels and we had no places to stay. And, and so we would just ask people at the show or people would come up and offer their, and, and some guys like, Hey, you guys can stay at my flat, you know? And, and, uh, uh, it's, it'll be fucking great, man. And, and, uh, we were like, ah, oh, excellent. We're jet lagged. And so we play the show, we go to this guy's flat. And it's a one room flat in, you know, somewhere in, in London. That's no surprise, really. London. Right, right. You know, you know the deal. And so we're like, and we have to sleep in the living room floor. You know, I think there was just a living room kitchen and then a bed, his bedroom. So we're laid out on the floor, like the four black flag bars, you know, our sleeping bags, <laughs> like, you know, like sleeping right next to each other with all of our belongings around us. So we get there and we're exhausted and we pass out and, and I wake up about an hour or two later and there's a full on party raging around us while we're sleeping on the floor in this one bedroom flat, just party going on, you know, people loud and drunk. And that was one of those moments like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? You know, <laughs> we, we probably know that guy, don't we, Dave? What have I done to my life? You know, and there was many of those sort of moments, like, what have I done? And it's too late to turn back now, you know, like, holy shit, what else am I going to do? I might as well see this one, <laughs> you know, take it to the fucking bitter end. I did a call. I wrote a call for a column for a while for this uh, weekly newspaper out here and, and about that, about the realities, you know, versus you know, that, that sort of fantasy that people have of what being in a band is all about. And it's like, well, you know, here's the realities. Here's some of the realities and talk to, you know, and I would interview people in bands and, and talk to them about the realities, about the suffering. I was going to say, so you touched upon writing and you mentioned earlier on about the book you're going to be releasing late on this year. Can you give me a bit, bit more background about that? The book is uh, about, it's an oral history of uh, it's the oral history of leftover crack. It's it's called Architects of Self Destruction. It'll be out on Rare Bird Press, a local Los Angeles publisher, uh, in August, August uh, twenty one. If you're familiar with the uh, the style of an oral history, it's uh, a collection of interviews, right? With you know, like please kill me or give me something better. I don't, I don't know if you've seen those books. Uh, uh, it's a collection of interviews with the band members, people around the band. Uh, people around the people around the band. And so there's sort of this, uh, uh, this narrative that, you know, goes from, you know, the end of choking victim, which was the band before leftover crack, and then through some adversities to, you know, the present, present time, you know, and it includes, it includes stuff, uh, not only about the band, but uh, about the, the, you know, the period of, of, you know, the late nineties and, 
you know, uh, Epitaph Records and people who who worked at Epitaph that are interviewed and some other chapters, you know, about the squat scene in, in New York City and, and uh, you know, some some cool stuff. It's, it's a pretty good book. So um, we lost Alec uh, last late last year. Um, yeah. Obviously, I'm really sorry. Sorry to hear that. Obviously, tragic news for you know, yeah. fans, family, friends, loved ones. How, how are you guys doing following that? Well, it's, you know, it was weird. We haven't even really been able to, um, we haven't seen each other really, you know. Uh, I know they had a, they had a service for Alec. They had a get together for him out in, in Brooklyn, but uh, half the band live, lives there and half the band lives here on the West Coast, right? The drummer and I live here uh, and Alec and Sturgeon and the other guitar player, uh, Al, all live on, in New York City. So uh, it was like right, you know, mid pandemic, we plan to continue to soldier on. You know, we've talked to, to a friend of ours about uh, about stepping in, you know, old friend of the band uh, on bass. But I don't think it'll really dawn on me until <laughs> until we start doing shows to, to not have them there, you know. But, yeah, I mean. It's a tough one. I, I've met him a couple of times when he came over to the UK and he's always seemed like a lovely guy to, you know, to be around. And not positive he was. Energy. Oh, he was a great guy and a character too, right? You know, yeah. yeah. The anchor, he was the fucking anchor of the band in a lot of ways. Extremely talented. Amazing bass player, right? And, you know, I feel <laughs> feel bad for the guy who's stepping in for him. And I know how, you know, it was same for me in regards to um, filling in for Steve Soto and his band mm-hmm. and having to, uh, you know, learn 30 adolescence songs in, in 30 days. And Steve was, you know, a phenomenal bass player and musician. And it's just like, ah. So, so how did that come about, you and the adolescents? Uh, well, I, you know, I've been friends with uh, Steve for a long, long time. And, um, and you know, I'd known Tony since I was, a, 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 you know, little kid. And, and um, Daniel, who's the guitar player, uh, that's, uh, you know, not the original guitar player, but he's been with him a long time now, you know, and, and uh, went to high school with him and, so I'd known those guys for a long time. And, and I, I, you know, I was, I went on their last tour that Steve did, um, you know, just driving them, driving the van and selling merch. You know, Steve asked me, uh, Hey, we're, you know, doing a two week tour of the East coast. You want to come along and drive and sell merch? And I had nothing to do. And I was like, sure. And it was great, you know, to hang out with those guys and, and, uh, you know, they're my old mates, man. And, and, um, uh, you know, Steve passed away, you know, a couple of days after that tour ended. So I think I was fresh in the band's mind as, as, you know, they had a bunch of, you know, obligations gig wise still. Right. And, and some tours. And I wasn't the first guy they asked, you know, they, they asked far more qualified people than myself, you know, who weren't available for one reason or another. They had, you know, other commitments with their bands and stuff. And, um, and it was like, <laughs> Hey, Brad, we have a tour of Europe in 30 days. Can you learn 30 songs and would you be interested in going with us? And I was like, fuck, uh, you know, it was a pretty mind blowing thing to have dropped in my lap for a number of reasons. Right. You know, I, first and foremost being, I'm not worthy to, you know, to take Phil and Stan and Steve Soto shoes, you know, um, and then fucking what 30 songs. Uh, but I, you know, I fucking went for it and, uh, I tried to the best of my ability and they ended up taking me with them and, you know, after that tour and a couple more commitments, they decided to keep it going. And, uh, you know, I've been with them ever since we did that, that covers record and 
you know, throughout lockdown, you know, we've been working on new stuff as well. You know, all of us have been writing our tracks and just sending them up to Tony uh, to write lyrics to. And, you know, we got a bunch of stuff. GarageBand. I write every, do everything in GarageBand. Who knew? I mean, you mentioned at the beginning you were doing some stuff with some guys in England. Um, any Anything you can talk about that or is it is it worth talking about? Uh, yeah. Have you heard of that band Chaos UK? Do you know that band Chaos UK? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my my mate Gabba, who lives in lives in Bristol, it, him and I have been friends for a long time. He he uh, uh, sang a song on the last F minus record, actually, uh, "Barking Dog." He was the singer, and and uh, him and I have been throwing tracks back and forth. He uh, has been doing this thing for about twenty years now called Scomputer, which is um, you know a mutation of of riffs, kind of like Discharge meets Aphex Twin or whatever something you know some weird sort of mashup of uh, hardcore and uh you know electro he's been doing it for a very long time so i started sending him riffs and then he puts it through this computer machine and mutates it and we we have a friend of ours uh her name is sarah and uh she lives in portland she was in a band called detestation a band called question and you know just great human great lyricist great singer uh, so uh, she's going to, you know, put vocals over our insanity. We don't have a name for it yet. You know, the name will reveal itself, I imagine. But we have about 15, 16 songs. And uh, Sarah's coming down coming down to my house next week. And we're going to try and throw some vocals over it. And will there be any, any plans to tour this, obviously, once things get a little easier? Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I think so. We're, we're all interested in doing that, you know. So definitely, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. More excited than I've been about, you know, anything I've done new in, a, in quite a while. Sounds like it. What's really nice is that from the very beginning of this chat to, to the very end and throughout, you've, um, you've obviously got a big uh, sort of influence and love for the, for the UK and, uh, and the sort of British, British music scene that um, has had a big influence, which is the whole point of this podcast is talking about the influences. It's really nice to hear because I think for Dave and I being in England, our biggest influences has, have probably come from your your side of the pond, but um, you've kind of yeah obviously stuck stuck to a big um, interest in what's going on over here, which is which is great to hear. And thanks for kind of keeping an eye on on things and keeping keeping us sort of you know in in business as well. We we always like to end Brad just very quickly, uh, and it doesn't have to be a, a UK band, of course. Um, very simple question of all time ever: Who is your favourite band? Man, John, why you got to do this to me, huh? I mean, you can't, you can't fudge your way out of it, Brad. We need a name. Well, I love Discharge. They, they're one of my all-time favorite UK punk bands. And, and there's something to be... I know I talked earlier, if I can just say a couple of things. I know I talked earlier about liking being influenced by bands that were eclectic and all over the place. There's something to be said for bands that are one fucking thing and one thing only, you know, and, and the pureness of that like discharge was mind blowing to me is in their, in their purity, man, in their sense of purpose, you know, it's fucking this and this is what it is. You know, we're not getting arty. There's no fucking bullshit. You know, it, it was like a bullet to the head. They were what they were and fucking Stoke, you know, could they be, they have been at anything else coming from Stoke. Right. <laughs> I, I love England, man. I do. It's like one of my second homes, people I really love that live there and I feel very comfortable there and should I'd love to live there one of these days, you know, so you never know. Please right? please come back when you get a chance to, we'd love to, to see you guys in whatever form 
uh, you're going to take, whether it's Adolescence, Leftover Crack, or this new yet-to-be-named band, which sounds very exciting. So um, fingers crossed we get to uh, we get to see you in person one day. Thank you so much, John. And thank you so much, David. I mean, thanks for having me, you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm really stoked to do this. That was a great interview. I, a lovely guy. Really lovely guy. Yeah, so he really was. Um, I don't know why we sound surprised. The punk scene's full of lovely people, but um, you never know. And we've seen Brad play before, but neither of us had met the guy. But some interesting stories, some great experiences, um, and just really down to earth and and very honest. No, he's a very very genuine guy, and you know I can see why he's so popular in the punk scene. He just very very humble. Um, I love the kind of discussion we we're having about the. The, the lack of glamour um, sometimes there's this myth uh, because it's our scene and a band like F minus uh, or leftover crack is probably, you know, towards the higher ends of the echelons of the bands that we know and love. And so you might have this sort of idea that these guys are, you know, experiencing something different, but they're, you know, not only the same kind of people as we are, but they're also doing it exactly the same as we are, which is, you know, roughing it, sleeping on floors, doing it in vans and, um, you know that's kind of endearing i think yeah and i, and I love that he's so talented he's writing his own books and he's done his own journalism and such and you know for those who are interested he's got a new book coming out in august this year so make sure you check it out thanks for listening check us out on uh, all the sort of different platforms that you can and listen to us lots and tell your friends uh dave do you want to make that a bit more of a formal thing i'd, I'd love to john yeah i'd, I'd love to <laughs> so if you want to email us then um, you can reach us at podcast at gmail.com you can go on our twitter at podcast, or you can instagram us at punk rock academy podcast thanks for listening we'll see you next time this is brad logan And you've been listening to the Punk Rock Academy podcast.